You are listening to Astrology Today, coming to you live from beautiful Sunshine Coast and Powell River, which is situated on the traditional lands of the Klahoman Nation. I will be your host, Maureen Reed, and I am an astrologer. Welcome. The Kitchen Series continues, and I am still not getting dazzling levels, so I will do a bit of taping, and then I will pause, and I will check that this is going to be okay. Yes, we are patiently waiting for Saturn to come out of Aquarius, social distancing, and uh, move back into Capricorn and maybe something similar to life as we used to know it, although, of course, it will never be exactly the same again. Um, but such is life. Okay, so the sun is in Taurus. Therefore, this week's episode will focus on the ruler of Taurus, which is the planet Venus. Modern astrology gives all things artistic to Venus, as well as a love and relationship too. For the Hellenistic astrologer, they added in measure, weight, and even trade. The principle of inclusive involving, unifying, reconciling, partnership, obviously relationship, relating, modes of relating, money and goods, things of value, desire, and with objects of desire. And socially, it has to do with consensus. So Venus in a country's chart, you would be looking for what people will feel creates consensus amongst them. It has to do with agreement and people coming to some kind of mutual agreement. Themes of attraction and repulsion in some sense. Venus also has a very interesting orbit around the sun. It takes about 18 to 19 months for Venus to orbit the sun. And like everyone else, excluding the moon, will go retrograde. From our vantage point, of course, what that means is it appears to slow down, stop, back up for about 40 to 43 days, and then resume forward motion. Now, I am going to spend uh, an episode talking about this because what is unique to Venus is it repeats its retrograde in the same degree slash sign every eight years, moving very slowly backwards through the signs at roughly two degrees every eight years. Um, and so in an upcoming episode, I am going to explore the ramifications of that. And for some, depending on your chart, um, that eight-year interval will coincide with significant events in your relationship history and future history, obviously. Okay, so now Venus, um, right at the moment, is in Gemini, and it will be retrograding. Um, and so, again, I will come back to Venus. But in the meantime, Venus is a very happy benefic in a night chart. Okay. It rules Taurus and Libra. It loves to be in Pisces. That's where it's exalted. It's not as effective in its fall, Aries, Scorpio, or Virgo. 
it does take joy in being in the fifth house. Um, it's a feminine planet and in ancient Hellenistic times would have been the only companion for the feminine moon, which she favors within the night set. Okay. Imagine she can be, I imagine, I should say, that she can be reasonably comfortable in other feminine signs of Capricorn and possibly the air signs of Aquarius and Gemini. Fire and water, not so much. Cancer, Sagittarius, and Leo. Like all planets, challenges will ensue if yours happens to fall in the 12th, the 2nd, the 6th, or the 8th house in your chart. So let's look at some charts where Venus is making a statement. And I paused for not very long before the following name popped up. And that is uh, a movie star of the 50s, the 1950s and the 60s, Elizabeth Taylor. Now, to those of you who are young, you might want to hit Google, have a look. <laughs> but those of my generation, we're very familiar with Elizabeth Taylor. Why? Her marriages were, you know, in the news a lot when I was a kid. Okay, she married seven different men, one twice. She also had four children. She became a commodity to the MGM studio. That was a movie, a big movie making producer back in the 50s and the 60s. Um, and her, they created a cult of her personal life and they exploited it. In some ways, Elizabeth Taylor, um, her beauty and her life, and was, you know, sort of put on display and subsequent um, cults of stardom kind of grew out of the model that was used with Elizabeth Taylor. Okay, so who was she married to? Um, her first marriage was to Conrad Hilton Jr. Uh, she was 18. That one only lasted a year. Next was Michael Wilding. Uh, that was from 52 to 57. Next, Mike Todd, 57 to 58. Next was Eddie Fisher, 59 to 64. Are we kind of getting mind boggled? <laughs> uh, Richard Burton, 1964 to 1974. Um, and then she divorced him for a year, remarried him, divorced him again a year later. Uh, John Warner, a politician from 1976 to 1982, and then she took a break. Wow. Um, and then married a Larry Forensky. Forensky? I'm not sure how his name was pronounced. Anyway, from 1991 to 1996. And as I said before, she had four children. So obviously, her chart and her Venus <laughs> have played a significant role in her life. Um, you know, and obviously she was, she was also a good actor. Um, but I'm not going to really touch on that just to the whole marriage thing. So Elizabeth Taylor was born February the 27th, 1932 in England to American parents. She has sun in Pisces, co-present with Mars and Mercury in the fourth. Raised first in England, but the family moved to California due to the start of the Second World War. Her mother, a retired stage actor, got her into acting. 
Okay. So Taylor's eyes in particular drew attention. They were blue to the extent of appearing violet and were rimmed by dark double eyelashes, which apparently is a very specific genetic mutation. Her acting career had a slow start. Her eyes are too old. She doesn't have the face of a child. So she was first cast when, you know, she was quite young. Um, and also, apparently, Taylor later said that I used to frighten grown-ups because I was totally direct. And I wonder why that is. Well, look at this. We have Sag Rising, fire sign which is ruled by Jupiter and Leo, again, more fire, and she has Venus in Aries. Okay, so the ability to fire and be direct, yeah, not a big surprise there. Okay, her Venus is also opposing her MC in Libra in the 11th house a product of the studio culture of her time. Okay, so this brings in that weight and measure and the concept of beauty and what defines beauty. Um, and yeah, so beauty as a commodity, definitely. Venus can point towards that. It being in her fifth house, kind of a classic place for actors and acting and playing a role. Okay, um, so Taylor's first big mark um, after, you know, she sort of came out as a child actress with, um, what was it called? Black Velvet? No, something velvet. <laughs> ah, and I don't have it written down. Anyway, doesn't matter. But her first sort of break into moving out of just being a child actress into playing a more adult role and where she, you know, sort of began to be uh, National Velvet. That was the first movie. Okay, so that particular movie was A Place in the Sun, and it marked a departure from her early films in which she was cast just as a child. Uh, it was the first film in which she had been asked to act instead of just simply being herself. And it brought her critical acclaim um, based on Theodore Dreser's novel, An American Tragedy, it featured Taylor as a spoiled socialite who comes between a poor factory worker and his pregnant girlfriend. Stevens cast Taylor as she was the only one who could create this illusion of being not so much a real girl as the girl on the candy box cover the beautiful girl in the yellow Cadillac convertible that every American boy sometime or other thinks he can marry. Ooh, is that a Venus archetype or what? Yes. So why so many marriages though? According to her biographer, Alexander Walker, whether she liked it or not, marriage is the matrix of the myth that began surrounding Elizabeth Taylor from when she was 16. Okay, sort of when she broke out in National Velvet. So how does a kid separate the story, Jupiter and Leo, ninth ruler of her optimistic ascendant, from the reality of living with someone? 
This is a night chart. The moon is not well placed in Scorpio in the 12th of self undoing or maybe feeling confined because sad rising often there is an element of freedom um, that the native just needs. The studio spin on her life. Okay, that could have been very confining. Mars, the domicile lord of that moon, which is in the 12th, is angular, but in Pisces. And again, we've talked a bit about Mars and Pisces. It has really nothing to react off of. So not a strong Mars. Okay, I imagine that her soul's light, sun, combust, Mars, and Mercury would have been subsumed by the mores of the times and cultures, culture of the 30s and the 40s. She was just supposed to get married and live happily ever after. Saturn, which can help take us, help us to take responsibility for our life, is reasonably placed in its own sign of Aquarius in the third siblings or extended family could have modeled ways of being in life that were more forward thinking and that's aquarius right ah but the 11th house mc ruled by her venus became her family and they used her so that 11th house of being you know connected to this huge industry called um hollywood right um and they took advantage of her youth, her naivety, okay? At one point, film tycoon Howard Hughes also wanted to marry her and offered to pay, if you can believe this, her parents' six-figure sum of money if she were to become his wife. Taylor declined the offer but was otherwise eager to marry young as her rather puritanical upbringing and beliefs made her believe that love was synonymous with marriage. Taylor later described herself as being emotionally immature. During this time, due to her sheltered childhood and believed that she could gain independence from her parents and MGM through marriage. And again, remember, she's got this moon in Scorpio in the 12th of confinement. Now, her first marriage to Conrad Hilton Jr. was only lasted a year. She was only 18. For most folks, instead of marriage, you have your first crush. Venus and Aries, impetuous, yes, do without thinking, easy. Realizing nothing in common, okay, Venus wants to share values with someone who has common, you have common interest with. His Venus in Gemini on the Ascendant was indicated by her seventh house being Gemini, so there's a natural fit. His Mars in Aries could have been a fit. Alas, his Saturn in Scorpio would have proved a perfect foil to her moon in Scorpio in the 12th. It would have felt incredibly confining. His Saturn, his natural desire to be the authority, to be the man of the house, yada, yada, yada. Again, you got to think back 30s and 40s. Um, yeah, that Saturn would have just put its thumb down on top of that moon in Scorpio. And yeah, that was not going to work. Her next marriage, not uncommon. I hazard to guess that a lot of us marry our mothers or our fathers to begin with. Um, a figure only to find, again, nothing in common. Michael Wilding, 
was 20 years her senior, though she stuck it out with him for five years. His chart shows Jupiter and Sag would have been in her first house. The age difference personified. Moon and Scorpio was the only real tie, and this would have only worked with maturity on both their parts. Okay, so they both had Moon in Scorpio. Not a lot of other connection. Okay, Taylor married her third husband and theater film producer Mike Todd in Acapulco, Mexico on February the 2nd, 57. She was now 25 years old. They had one daughter, Elizabeth. Todd, known for his publicity stunts, encouraged the media attention to their marriage. For example, in June of 57, he threw a birthday party at Madison Square Gardens, which was attended by 18,000 guests and broadcast on CBS. Unfortunately, he died in a plane crash March of the following year and apparently left Taylor devastated. Was this the marriage that could have worked for her? I've included Mike Todd's chart on the website. There are significant connections between their charts and classic ones as well. His Mars is in Venus, or pardon, his Mars is in Venus. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a song, I think, that goes like that that doesn't make any sense either. Anyway, <laughs> his Mars is in Aries with her Venus in Aries. Classic combination. His Jupiter in Scorpio, uh, cheerleader, okay, is with her moon in Scorpio. Very nice. His moon in Pisces with her sun. That is standard. It's very common in significant um, happy relationships where the sun and the moon, um, there's a connection between the two with the two charts, okay? Um, so that moon is also, of course, with her Mars and Mercury. Um, so that sense of safety, uh, he would have felt it. She would have felt it as well. His Venus is in Leo with her Jupiter. Again, that cheerleading component. Um, and trining her Venus, they had similar values. They were fired up for life and enthusiastic about life and living it. Their Saturns are square, so there is glue. Um, and that's just one of my own takes that um, became evident uh, in my past incarnation as a more modern astrologer, that I always looked for good Saturn contacts between two charts in order to create the glue that keeps them together. Okay, so there was a lot here that works. She was comforted. Unfortunately, though, you know, he checks out. Um, and, you know, of course, at that point, she would have been young enough that on some level, she may have sort of mythologized her relationship with him. Um, hard to say. Um, anyway, what she did end up doing is she took comfort in a mutual friend that her and Todd had in the singer Eddie Fisher with whom she first began um, as an affair. Again, that could be that moon in Scorpio in 12th house. As Fisher was still married to actress Debbie Reynolds, the affair result resulted in public scandal, with Taylor being branded a homewrecker. 
Taylor and Fisher were married um, in Vegas in 59. She later stated that she married him only due to her grief, and it lasted five years. In looking at their charts, no such connection. Um, they, didn't, they didn't have a connection, anything close to what her and her previous husband had. Okay, so next up <laughs> in this saga of Venus, okay, she gets connected with Richard Burton. Now, this is the longest running relationship that she had, even though she married him twice. They were together for the better part of 10 years. And um, so, again, I pulled up his chart because I wanted to compare um, you know, what sort of connections, was it as good a connection as she had with Todd or, you know, what was at play with this one? These charts only share one classic connection, and that is his son conjunct her moon. Otherwise, her Pisces falls in his 12th house of self-undoing together. Okay, so apparently they led an incredibly lavish lifestyle. Um, and, uh, you know, I suspect they lived the story that the public wanted to hear. Okay. Um, his Venus in Capricorn is in a superior square to her Venus in Aries. Um, and yeah, this, um, having squared Venus's respect is what would be required. This might've worked if it was a business partnership or if what they valued in common had a business component to it, because then respect can happen. But typically when we're in relationship, we want ease. <laughs> we want to have fun together and squares can butt heads. Um, so not the greatest. His Mars is in Libra in Burton's chart. It is debilitated and it rules both his son and his ascendant. Not good. If his ability to um, be assertive in anything other than passive aggressive, which is quite common with um, Mars in Libra. Um, yeah, this is is not going to work well and it does not relate at all to her Mars in Pisces. Um, this is one of those um, can't be seen type aspect uh, and so not good. Okay, the next relationship, she leaves him, she takes up with John Warner and um, again, not a strong connection. Um, basically throws herself into um, his political career um, and I suspect um, does not figure well as a wife of a politician and that relationship ends after again six years. She then takes a 10-year break um, and during that time, um, she takes what she values is, um, you know, her fame and her fortune, and she applies it to causes that are close to her, AIDS being one of them. Um, but apparently, um, and of course, 
with that 12th house moon and being uh, Sun, Mercury, Mars in Pisces, she does have health issues and um, she also has addiction issues. And so apparently the last guy she meets in a uh, treatment center where she is uh, going through detox and he is a guy who is considerably younger to her and um, again it lasts five years that was sort of the timeline that she gave him that if you stick with me for five years I will they signed a prenup and he did receive a bunch of money at the end of that five years they did remain good friends afterwards but again the only chart that really lined up with hers in any way that could have made a successful relationship was Todd and it's a shame that yeah she didn't get to hang on to him okay now the next couples <laughs> that I looked at okay is a little closer to the present although not entirely and this has to do with Lady Diana Princess of Wales the people's princess and her unfortunate marriage to Prince Charles now we'll start with um you know and of course this is another fated marriage disaster um you know because apparently Charles was always in love with Camilla and anyway <laughs> Venus can just you know get us into all sorts of problems okay so Prince Charles born November 14th 1948 Princess Diana was born July the 1st, 1961. So, of course, a considerable age difference again. Um, what was Charles looking for? Charles has Venus in Libra. So, you know, Venus is very happy in Libra. Um, and it is definitely into the beauty side of Venus. Um, and you know that uh, measurement and proportion and scale and and Diana no question about it very beautiful but also very shy this Venus of his is also in the third house so it is educated it's uh, worldly it's social um, and travel obviously is something that I think he enjoys as well third house so you know he needed a woman that would also um you know be taken up by that okay so where was diana's venus it was in taurus the other sign that is ruled by venus but this is a different venus this is in the sixth house so not entirely a happy place for that venus but it is dignified this is a day chart so this venus isn't as strong as the venus in charles chart his is a night chart so his venus in libra is quite a bit um, more dignified or stronger Okay, but her Venus in the sixth house, and reading a little bit about her bio, um, she was actually quite shy. So that doesn't really fit well with uh, Venus and Libra. Um, she also was not, um, you know, education wasn't her thing, but being resourceful for those who are sixth house, 
Hellenistics would have called them slaves. The rest of us just call us the working class. Um, that's what she valued. Um, and what she valued was not, was more practical and um, not necessarily less artistic, but more substance to it uh, than what necessarily a Venus in Libra, because the Venus in Libra is also looking at the social side of things. Venus in Taurus doesn't need to. It can just stay at home and build a beautiful garden or uh, champion the cause of the proletariat, sixth house. And what's interesting, and I hadn't really realized it, is Venus and Taurus can't see Venus and Libra. And so even though they both have an equally strong Venus, they do not look to one another. Okay, so where was the connection? Well, of course, his moon, Charles Moon, has moon in Taurus. That kind of fits with her being the mother of his children. Okay, was this a marriage strictly of the convenience? Camilla may have already said, look, I ain't having any more kids. You need to produce an heir. Find someone. God only knows if it went down that way. Let's hope not for her sake, for Diana's sake. Okay, so... Um, Okay, so her practical, I just need to catch up to what I've written down. And of course, their age thing. Now, let's stack up the chart with um, Camilla. Is there a better connection between her and Charles? And I just realized I turned my head away. I apologize. I don't think I said anything really important there. Okay, so let's look at the Venus again. We know that Charles has Venus in Libra. Okay, Camilla has Venus in Cancer. Hmm, um, it's not exalted, it's not dignified. It can, it can be there. It's a water sign, so therefore it's a feminine side. It squares his Venus in Libra. Interesting. Um, she has a whole whack. She's got Moon, Venus, Mercury, and the Sun in Cancer in the 12th house. She's willing to take a back seat to someone else that's up front, okay, 12th house. Um, and she fits in with his social circle. She's a year older than him. And so they probably had, from a social point of view, way more in common. Okay, but again, that Venus does square um, his Venus. Okay, so where's the next connection? So all that water, of course, connects with his son in Scorpio in the fourth house. So again, there's this moon-sun connection quite common in successful relationships. I'm going to pause for a second and get myself some water. Just I'm back and I will continue on with uh, Charles and Camilla. 
Okay, so the next thing that I notice, because there's got to be something more if the Venuses are not all that well placed. Um, okay, so Jupiter, the benefic in a day chart, is trining, that's her Jupiter, and her Jupiter is, where is it? La -da, it's in Scorpio. So it's not trining, it's conjunct his Scorpio. So major cheerleader. And given that he's the man who would be king, who will never be king, <laughs> probably his mother might even outlive him, um, that would have been a huge draw for him. Okay, so the other thing that they share is they both have Leo rising. So the orientation of their charts are similar. And, um, you know, so the, the, the way they see themselves in society um, would have been quite complementary, um, having come from the same social circles, being in the same age group, etc. Um, the other piece is between Mars and uh, his Mars Jupiter. He has Mars Jupiter, which um, these people know how to really get involved in life, although to look at him, you wouldn't know that, but I suspect he is. And her Mars and his Mars are opposite each other. So there was the juice. Okay. Now, the last power couple that I am going to take a closer look at is JFK and Jacqueline Kennedy, who was later to marry Aristotle Onassis. Okay, so they were, and I didn't realize it until I was reading her profile, that uh, she was the one that came up with the idea of Camelot. Um, and you know, the, the sort of mytho, mytho, turning their life story into a bit of a myth because of his assassination. Um, you know, it was at the time, I mean, I was a kid when he was assassinated, um, but it stuck, everybody remembers where they were when JFK was shot. Um, you know, in my age group, that just goes without saying. I was in grade five, I think. And the teachers were completely stunned. Um, yeah, they were gobsmacked that day. And we were like, what is going on? Okay, so what was it between these two? And uh, okay, this pair had a 12-year discrepancy in age. Um, Jacqueline has Venus and Gemini in the eighth, ruling her seventh house. John has Venus and Gemini in the ninth, co-present with his son. His Venus rules his first, making his partnership very important and fated to his direction in life. Sharing the same Venus obviously helps. It does make the ruler way more important, and that would be Mercury in this case. John's Mercury is in Taurus with Jupiter and Mars. Ooh, this guy knew how to enjoy life through the physical senses. P.S. This Mercury also was stationed. This was one smart cookie. And it is in mutual reception. Remember, Venus is in Gemini. 
to that Venus. So they each supported. Okay, so within his own character, these two pieces worked really well. Now, Jacqueline has Jupiter co-present with her Venus in Gemini, but her Mercury is in Leo, co-present with the sun in the 10th. So she was looking for a position, a man to have position out there in a community. And again, this is going back. Um, these folks were married or were born. John F.K. was 1917 and uh, Jacqueline was 1929. And so, hmm, pardon me while I take a sip of water. Um, that was the way it was back in those days. You know, the man was supposed to be out front and special. So Mercury in Leo, can it talk to Mercury in Taurus? with respect for different communication styles would have had to happen his Taurus does fit in her seventh house so that helped but her scorpio rising would have known if he did in fact stray as rumor had it obviously having venus in the eighth ruling the 12th house as well does not bode well for the spouse and of course this is jackie's chart um, and both her husbands died before her, obviously, one in not such a good way. Um, her next husband truly sounded like a marriage of convenience. Apparently, she wanted to shelter her kids from, um, you know, sort of the being the ex-president's wife kind of thing and wanted them to have um, less to do with um, the American uh, society and stuff. And so it did sound as I was reading the bio that her marriage was one of convenience. And sure enough, when I look at his chart, um, you know, again, I looked at the Venuses. Is there a connection? Was there things of value that they shared? So Aristotle, his Venus is in Capricorn, along with Sun Mercury, all in the 11th house, good fortune and many connections. No wonder she knew him. Her Venus in Gemini would not have clicked with Venus in Capricorn. Again, they cannot see each other. But having her son in Leo in the 10th, she could relate to the position of being his wife. They both have fire moons, his in Sag on the 10th. The wife must be well-placed, international and foreign, bonus points, and highly regarded, and she could fit that profile. Mercury could help her in relationship, but her Mercury in Leo, again, would not connect to Mercury in Capricorn. Okay, so sometimes we do connect for reasons of convenience and not because of compatibility. Okay, so I thought what I would do is take a relatively quick trip through Venus in the 12 signs um, with the things that you need to consider in terms of uh, value. Okay, so starting with a Venus in Aries. Okay, it's got to be a zest for life that both partners value, and you are going to definitely want to see that Mars in one chart um, connects with Mars in the other chart, okay, because that's the ruler of Aries. Taurus, this is a classic Venus signature, so the Venuses must be compatible. 
Um, the values have to be the same. Um, the rootedness to a place can be really important to Venus and Taurus. Um, these folks do not move if they don't have to. Um, and so that needs to be compatible with the other person. Um, and also the management of resources. So this could be a very excellent business partnership if uh, Venuses in Taurus connect with each other or have, uh, you know, if you've got, let's say, a Venus in Capricorn and a Venus in Taurus in a business relationship, that would work real well. Um, or even Venus in Virgo, so trines to that uh, Venus. Um, but in a personal relationship, these these people are going to Venus and Taurus value a long lasting relationship. Okay, Gemini, as we've seen um, with uh, the two that both had uh, Venus and Gemini, Mercury. That's the place that you need to make work. Communication um, can't be intuitive. Got to be, you know, got to be able to talk the same language, basically. Okay, with Cancer, this is um, a Venus in Cancer has a level of sensitivity. It's like they have no skin. And so, again, the shared Venus, there has to be, um, like, I wouldn't recommend a Venus squaring this Venus in Cancer. That's not likely going to work well. Um, the big mitigator, of course, will be the moon. You're going to want to have compatible moons so that they, you know, the Venus in Cancer feels safe. Uh, Venus and Leo, again, all fired up. Got to be able to play well together. <laughs> um and to be able to share the stage, obviously. Um, so here, of course, you're looking for compatibility between the sun, um, each person having a sun that um, uh, is relatively free from conflict. Um, moving on to Virgo, again, another Mercury ruled sign. Um, and there has to be the value of service has to be mutual. Um, also, um, this as being one half of a signature that can get involved in um, codependence uh, with this Venus. You know, the Venus can take care of, but it can also become uh, the Venus that um, um, can feel superior <laughs> to another Venus um, because of its sense of wanting things done just right. Um, that doesn't happen all the time, but it can be a factor there. Okay, so again, you're going to want to have Mercury that is uh, can speak so that they have the same speak. Um, but the big piece will be the mutual valuing of being of service. Okay, Venus and Libra. This is the classic opposition to the Aries rising or to Aries period. And it is the first case of opposition. And so Venus and Libra is social. It has an incredible sense of aesthetic. Um, it wants things to be peaceful and coexisting. Um, conflict is not its idea of a good time. And so there has to be some mutual respect on that level, definitely. Okay, Venus in Scorpio. 
Um, this is the card carrying case of emotional honesty. There has to be a sense of um, not hiding from each other. And so again, this needs to be a Venus that is compatible with another sign that is fully capable of being transparent and open and honest uh, for that to work. Obviously, also, because this is ruled by Mars, they have to be able to fight well. <laughs> I, I have this uh, particular aspect myself uh, with Venus and Scorpio and at a certain point in my relationship with my husband, um, we came to the conclusion that there were certain days when our partner, the other, whether that was me or whether that was Larry, had to be perfect in order to not die <laughs> at the hands of the other one. Okay, Scorpio, what can I say? Okay, so Venus in Sag. This is a tricky one because Sagittarian energy likes its freedom. And so it will work well, obviously, with other fire signs. Um, but there needs to be that same valuing of the need for freedom of movement to be able to go where you need to go. And, um, these folks, I suspect form unusual relationships from sort of that Taurus or cancers kind of style of, you know, steadfast and stick to it and et cetera, et cetera. Um, from the inside it might be that way but from the outside it's going to look like both partners are going in completely different directions all the time obviously the jupiters need to be compatible there needs to be a level of cheerleading of support for each other um okay so the next two saturn ruled signs capricorn and aquarius um if you have Venus here, your values have to be upfront, clear, got to set really good boundaries, um, got to draw your line in the sand. You've got to say, this is what works, this is what doesn't work, and you have to state those rules of the game right from the get-go. There is no coming up with a set of rules after the fact. Um, and that has to be totally clear. So these relationships, whether they're business or personal, can have some tremendous glue. They can stick together. So again, you want to set those ground rules right, right from the beginning. Um, obviously this can be relationships where age differences can make a difference, um, because it is Saturn. And so, um, people close to your own age are likely going to have the same Saturn as you do, because Saturn will stay in a sign for about two and a half years. And so, um, you've got to, I would suggest here that you're looking at, um, Venus probably is not going to really want to settle down until after the first Saturn return. Um, just because there needs to be a level of maturity there to make it work. Um, and to, yeah, but once it starts working, boy, we got some good glue here. These people stay together. Okay. So Capricorn, you're going to want to value the climb. Okay. The, you know, accomplishment, uh, ambition, uh, with Saturn in or with Venus in Aquarius, it's going to be the the um, 
requirement for a future orientation, uh, for there to be different groups of people that you associate with, and for that to be okay. So let's say you've got Venus and Aquarius and the other person has, uh, I don't know, let's say Venus and Libra. Uh, so the Venus and Aquarius, it's got to be fine that they have wacky groups of people that they hang out with. And the Venus and Libra can go, yeah, I can get the social part, but no, nah, you go hang with those people because I'm not really interested. So that kind of compatibility. Okay, and the last sign, uh, Pisces, Venus and Pisces. Um, it's exalted here. And so there needs to be a unspoken energetic connection between people. Um, it doesn't, they don't both have to have Venus in Pisces, but the energetic is very crucial. Um, and so that being on the same wavelength um, will be one of the quickest ways to determine is this right or is this not right. Um, so here again, we have a Jupiter ruled sign. And so having similar or compatible belief systems, religious affiliation, or even cultural affiliations, because, and I didn't, I don't know if I said this about, um, Venus and Sag, there can be foreign mixtures there where, you know, it's like, being connected to the world and being in relationship with people from different parts of the world. Here, it would probably have to do more with spiritual philosophical um, compatibility, um, but that would be essential and even more so the, the energetic connection. Okay, so there we have it. Venus through the signs, and I have 10 minutes to take my time through Where's That Moon? Okay, um, obviously here in Canada, um, Pluto coming up to its station did not create a happy scenario, unfortunately, in Canada, in Nova Scotia, um, and that just sucks big time. If I ever get a chance to um, get some data on um, a particular fellow who obviously lost it um, and created such horrific damage. Um, I will look at that chart. Um, it's always curious to see what happens, like how does this happen? Anyway, so starting today, we have Moon in Gemini, and it will team up with Saturn in Aquarius. Update on the world situation should be realistic today. Making excellent plans can work well. Mercury square to Pluto announces Pluto's annual stationing to go retrograde. As recited last week, if you have 25 degrees of cardinal signs, this past week will have been a wee bit intense. Um, uh, good news can come out of today as well with Mercury squaring Jupiter tonight at 9.30 p.m. or not. I'm voting for the positive side. Sunday. April 26, the yearly shock of Sun conjoining Uranus 
You'd almost think that this was last weekend, but it isn't. As an example, last year the conjunction was on the 22nd, 23rd of April. We had earthquakes in the Philippines, 54 miners buried in a mudslide in Miramar, and Greta Thunberg speaks at the Extinction Rebellion protest in London amid a citywide climate protest where the Waterloo Bridge was occupied for four days. Kind of hard to imagine gangs of people in our current lockdown. Look what a year later can be. <laughs> Unbelievable. Meanwhile, the Gemini moon, along with Venus, court Mars. A very nice day to hang with your friends and loved ones, even if that's only through Zoom. World prayers at 8 p.m. tonight, moon squares Neptune. Monday, April 27th. By the old time of coffee break, the moon slips into comfy cancer. Good thing regular programming now allows for PJs. Nourish all that supports you for the next 48 hours. Meanwhile, Chatty Mercury switches gears with his entrance into Taurus. I'm imagining that the world economy and food security will now start to fill the airwaves. We might even get the good news vis-a-vis -vis the environment, which has been given a fossil fuel break these past few weeks. Okay, Tuesday, April the 28th, 2020. The Cancer Moon is chill today. Only Mercury asking for a reality check with Saturn at 10.27 a.m. Wednesday, April the 29th, Cancer Moon gives a monthly nod to Jupiter and Pluto in Capricorn, the old establishment in its new configuration. Is it supporting the people, Cancer? Inquiring minds want to know. The flame is lit around 4 p.m. with the moon's ingress into Leo. Playtime. Reality, though, may try to squash that activity at 9.30 p.m. when the moon opposes Saturn. Thursday, last day of the month of April. My gosh, where does the time go? <laughs> Leo moon is butting up against the Taurus trio. Now we have Mercury, Uranus, and the moon. Immovable forces knock heads. If you or those you are in lockdown have early fixed signs prominent, you might want to party by yourself. Shocking speak tonight at 8.40 p.m. Mercury conjoins Uranus. So I checked back. What was happening last year when Mercury got together with Uranus? Last year, hackers seized control of Baltimore City computers and demanded a ransom to release them. And England went a week without coal-fired electric power. Ah. Okay, Friday, the 1st of May. Leo Moon still wants to play and Mars may want to fight. Moon opposite Mars. Balance, eh? Okay, Saturday, coming around to my episode next weekend. Virgo Moon came in late yesterday, and of course, first on its agenda 
is teaming up with Uranus, then Mercury, and then the Sun. A practical get or done day will be next Saturday. Okay, so there you have it. Another episode from Astrology Today coming to you live from CJMP Powell Rivers Community Radio Station 90.1 FM. And I'm wishing you all a very healthy, happy, and warm week. Take care. This is a rebroadcast of my radio show, Astrology Today, which aired on CJMP 90.1 FM, Powell Rivers Community Radio Station.